0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to Chit Heads. My guest today is Georgie Y. Johnson. Georgie graduated from Oxford University with a determination to explore the mysteries of perception through mind, heart, and body. Together with her partner, Bart Tenberger, she has an international teaching and healing practice in non-dual therapy and spiritual psychology. Georgie is author of several books, including I Am Here, Opening the Windows of Life and Beauty, a study of the nature of consciousness and non-dual therapy the psychology of awakening she is presently completing a new book non-dual medicine the physiology of the soul all Georgie's teachings arise out of the realization of the primacy of resonant experience in the movement toward well-being health and happiness in this her approach is radically holistic working with the vibratory field of the felt sense as prior to physical psychological and mental manifestations. Implicit in this is the liberation of consciousness from the inherited conditioning of beliefs. So with that, hello Georgie, how are you?
1: (laughs) I'm good. Hi Jacob.
0: (laughs) It's really nice to get an opportunity to chat with you today. Um, I've spent some time, you know, going through your book, reading portions of it, And, um, like I was mentioning to you before we started the recording, uh, it's such a beautifully written book, and I can't recommend it too highly. And it is quite a tome. It is quite long, and um, so much in there, so much to explore, so much to um, derive wisdom from. It really is such a beautiful book. And the book I'm speaking about um, uh, is Non dual therapy, the psychology of awakening. So, um, before we you know, get into kind of the content and some of the concepts and and teachings that you explore in the book. I just wanted to explore a little bit about your own story and kind of what has led you step by step to this work that you do now in non-dual therapy.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm blessed to be on the other side of 50 years old, which means that at this stage, uh, I can look back at some of the horrible stuff that went down in my childhood and uh young adulthood and later adulthood (laughs) (laughs) With, with with uh with an overview much more and uh it's really amazing how some of the most traumatic and horrible things that were experienced some some of the most breaking moments were from the, from where I'm sitting now, absolutely necessary
2: mm.
1: in terms of the uh, what was to come in terms of understanding and insight and healing. There is, the, it's like something beautiful about about living long is that you see. <laughs> I'm only fifty, but still, what I'm getting the sense of is that that you get a sense of uh, the long game, which is there, meaning not one little lifetime, but multiple lifetimes and Mm. the incredible uh, fulfillment that's there when in this process of self realization, that can go over decades. uh, So what do I mean, I give you an example. You know, one of the most traumatic moments uh, in my life was when uh, after my parents divorced, my father was in England, my mother and me went to Belgium, and I hadn't seen him for a few years. And he was a record producer, Tony. And uh, uh, but quite an alcoholic, very ambitious, full of. He used to work for KTL Records. Anybody who's my age will remember KTL Records. It was like, mm. you've got the rap. They had the crap. You know, they were selling every <laughs> commercial, the greatest hits of this, that and everything. But he was an alcoholic and he was super ambitious, super frustrated, kind of uh, super creative. And he was going down and I hadn't seen him for two years. And there was this kind of moment to see him again. And i had been longing to see him again. And I met with him, and there was this shriveled uh, version of a man. You know, and, it's you know, of course, I had grown. I was now 14 years old as opposed to 12. And so he, it seemed to me that he'd shrunk. Mm. And he'd got very, very old in his face. And, but I ran to him like a little girl. Like my legs moved before I could decide... Before I even recognized that this was my father, he came out from behind a tree and I ran into his arms and just held him like, like a four-year-old. And at a certain stage he took me to, uh, I asked him to take me to the house where we used to live after the divorce. And he stood there in front of the door and he broke down and began crying about how uh, my mother had thrown him out of there and how his hand had been locked in the door and how he'd been left alone. And I'm standing there, and I remember in exactly that instant being the little girl on the other side of the door. And the bad man has been shut out. The abuser is gone. We're safe now, being reassured. It's okay, he's gone. But that was my father. And now I was on this side of the door, seeing my father, this grown man, broken, really broken down, uh, uh, with tears falling down his face. And my world fell apart in that moment. It was like I was ripped into two. And and I kind of I'm sure I dissociated, and it's this like timeless kind of rupture, like like a, like a planet being split. And it was like Belgium and England, and I was in, a, in a, a, a school of meditation in Belgium, and there was the Catholic Church in England, and there was mother, and there was father, and there was this reality and that reality, and everything split, and I went mute. I couldn't speak anymore. No. Uh. For years, six months after that, he died. He, one of the last things he said to me on that time, he said, uh, you have to save me. I need you to save me. I think I'm going to die before I'm
0: 40. Wow. And uh, That's a big responsibility on your shoulders.
1: I know. <laughs> I know. And I took it. But I couldn't work out how to do it. And I began speaking. And he said, no, no, no. Write me a letter. And so I went back to this universe of Belgium where nobody knew anything of my father. They thought my stepfather was my father. Knowing there was this kind of thing going on, tick-tock, tick-tock from my father in England. And I had to write this letter. And I I couldn't find the words. And in the end, I sent him this Irish blessing, which is like, may there was sunshine warm upon your back, may. It's like a blessing until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. So this is like big trauma. It took me decades, you know, because after he died, it was almost a relief. But of course, there was no grief counseling no grief therapy Uh, there was no space to admit it was a relief Uh, it was also a disaster it was also this massive confrontation with mortality it broke me immediately again into this perception of death and Mm -hmm. wanting to follow in a way wanting to know what what on uh, where is he where's he gone Mm -hmm. you know so for six months i sat there locked in a room with a this kind of music called The Passion, which is about the crucifixion of Jesus, and um, contemplated death. Until I got to this place where I was really like, uh, ready to kill myself. It was like, there was such a naked looking, and it was like my my dad was Jesus, you know, it was like, Mm. And, and the whenever the music got to that place of the culmination of the crucifixion, I would begin to cry and cry. But it was all dissociated and it felt a little bit fake, but it was real. And he really, really was dead And in this kind of state of like impossible grief. And uh, at a certain stage, I just thought, that's it. I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill myself. That's it. And I, and I went to the kitchen and I got this big knife, took it back to the little room, you know, and. Uh, kind of pressed it into my skin. And there was absolutely no way I was going to do it. You know, there was absolutely no way. But I was like looking at the possibility. What if I did, you know? Yeah. It, it already seemed quite unrealistic, like, you know. It's... Yeah. But still, I was looking at it, as looking at death, looking at death. And suddenly there was this moment where it was like, I was existence, looking at non-existence. And non-existence looked back. Like, and and it came in a moment of, like, Pure realization that, that there wasn't any escape, that non existence only exists because of existence, and that I can't cross over, I can't become the not me without being a me. Like this whole thing unraveled all at once, and in this flash of insight, that there is no escape. And I cried, then I really cried, and I cried, and I cried because there was no way out.
2: Hmm.
1: And then there were, and then I began to get back, go back into life again and, you know, began to go back into studying and got into Oxford and all of this uh, in a very esoteric kind of way, very much yeah. writing. I, to get into Oxford, I wrote a thesis about what which you could actually call these days duality, but it came from that trauma of having father and mother split open inside of me. Mm. So I went deep into the Hegelian approach of like thesis, antithesis and synthesis. So... In a way between my mother and my father, I was the synthesis. I was the non dual aspect. Yeah. You know, if she was the sun and was the moon, I was the earth. If if he if he was darkness, if she was light, or the other way around, who cares? Then I was a manifestation. You
0: know, you know yeah. I really one of the things sorry to interrupt you, but one of one of the things I really like that I've noticed about your work is the way in which you've um, you have this almost dharmic or kind of um, Uh, spiritual interpretation of a lot of Western philosophers and I myself studied Western philosophy and one of my interests actually is kind of the intersection and um, and reading some of these thinkers in a way that suggests um, the teachings that you're kind of referring to and so I'm curious uh, you know you're talking about this me and not me which um, at the time did you have the concepts to make sense of that was it just a feeling you know when did you begin to gain the sort of apparatus and sort of conceptual architecture to be able to um, make sense of these experiences that you were having at an early age
2: well
1: my mother is quite a a mystic in Mm -hmm. a way Uh, but uh, from a Catholic background, from a, from quite a strong kind of English Catholic background. Um, but, you know, it goes back really, really, really early. You know, I remember that my first memory is as a two year old being in bed and. And being told to go to sleep and not knowing how to go to sleep and lying there and looking Looking at the window, it was in the middle of the day. There was sun coming through the window and the kind of oddness of it and hearing my mother downstairs in the kitchen. And I was just learning to talk. And I started saying my name, Georgie, 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 and until it became totally senseless. Like a mantra. Like a mantra, but actually it began with guitar. Guitar was the first word I started saying because it was a new word and my father was a producer. So it was guitar, 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 guitar. This word had no connection with the instrument at all. And, I, and then I started saying, Georgie, 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 Georgie. And then the, the name had no connection with me.
2: Mm.
1: And then I looked out the window and it was like, uh, who am I then? And it was like, there was this light and there was this like consciousness looking at the consciousness, looking at the consciousness. And I could hear my mother downstairs and it was like the mother, like a stranger, like mother wasn't mother. And uh, I felt my, my legs in the bed very, very short, and this long bed, and uh, that they were longer than they had been before. And uh, I felt in this consciousness of consciousness, it's like following the light, like a ladder of light being conscious of being conscious of being conscious, I felt this incredible power, like this knowing this homecoming, but not home in terms of nicey-nicey, it was a charge of uh, uh, vitality in a way, but in this in this instance, from up, like liberated consciousness in a way. And that became my private little trick to survive horrible things. So whenever it got too troublesome, I would reach into that place uh, uh, of being conscious, of conscious, being awake, being in the here and now. And always it would be like kind of strange that where I had been in the meantime, Mm. because my body would be again a little bit bigger. And somehow it was stayed healthy and I hadn't had to do anything about that. And I would be there again. And then I would vow to stay awake, stay awake, stay in this conscious state. And then, of course, then I would be gone again.
0: Wow. So, so how did you how were you able to know how to access that? Was it just apparent to you at that age that it was there was like a skill that you were somehow aware of that you could tap into to access that that for, sort of yeah. field or that light? It's, it's,
1: it was to do with the kind of shock of being in a physical body and not being my name. That would mm. be my entry point. But
0: that's beautiful. Like I'm not
1: Georgie. Georgie. Yeah, I'm not Georgie. You know, and 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 having a physical body, which is also. Uh, for some reason, it's easy for me to, or, or natural for me to relate to having a physical body as a kind of strangeness, mm. weirdness, being in a physical
0: body. It know? is weird. <laughs> it's like, what?
1: <laughs> you know, it's like, I this, like, like a reptile. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that sense of strangeness is very awakening. Mm. And especially when it's not in a trauma. You know, we get that sense of strangeness and alienation when we're traumatized or when we're dissociated. But but uh, or maybe I was born traumatized. I don't know, because I don't see trauma as a negative thing anymore. I see it as an mm-hmm. evolutionary thing when you look at it in terms of the long game. You
0: know. Yeah. yeah. Well, wow. that's beautiful. So, um, you know, you wrote this book, Non-Dual Therapy, which was so at what point did um these realizations these understandings we're obviously maybe um, moving forward a little bit now when did they start to evolve into something like a methodology and a strategy i mean uh, how did that sort of come about
1: yeah so my my partner bart is uh, very much from the school of spiritual healing and he's a psychologist a spiritual psychologist and uh it was partly his teaching and uh, work that helped pull me out of the kind of breakdown of uh, uh, drug addiction, uh, cannabis addiction and nervous breakdown, and, mm. uh, through just kind of moving me back to feeling the feelings and feeling the emotions. Yeah. But uh, part of that movement back to taking emotional responsibility through studying spiritual healing, uh, meant that the, the whole environment around me began to change. I left my previous marriage, I, I, I began to step much more into an environment which was supporting who I need to be, how I need to express in the world what I need for well being when what the children needed, for, needed for well being. Yeah. And uh, part of that need for well being at a certain stage was that I needed to manifest, I needed to speak, I needed to express. Yeah. And or, while it was this conscious awakening had always been there. And and like, so when I read Eckhart Tolle's book, it was like, okay, yeah, we know the power of the now we were born with the power of the yeah, you know Ten Berger's teaching was much more different from eckhart toller's teaching it was about really letting the resonance of feelings and emotions the energy with energy exercises letting them live and all of this and this was also profoundly true and i was sitting there contemplating you know so you've got this awakened consciousness and you've got this other thing which is able to feel a feeling another whole ball game which is going on there and which is there's two how can there be two two doorways two doorways to what and then there came this dropping into the body really into the basis of the body the physical bones of the body the base of the spine and which i call the fall into emptiness and uh in this falling into emptiness and realizing this emptiness which is full of everything this kind of movement into like the I didn't even know the word non duality at that stage. It's interesting, but this was, this was the birth of, I am here, the book, I am here. Uh, there was a realization that consciousness and awareness that these are two separate things, like the mental consciousness, this light filled awake consciousness of consciousness. This transcendental dimension is different from feeling awareness, sentient awareness, which is Mm. in a way the the water out of which consciousness arises and then it dives back into. And, uh, Being in emptiness meant that these two, head and heart, feeling and mind, thought and emotion, could find their own well-being, their own harmony, their own reorganization, and things began to accelerate very, very quickly. And that led to I am here, which is like I is consciousness, the awakened one, am is being, awareness, feeling, uh, how it feels, the, the, the atmosphere, how an atmosphere feels, vibration. And here is emptiness, which is the... Physical matter, the the miracle of the physical matter. So I am here. Is this whole alignment movement later on? I found Adya Shanti is doing three layers, and it's not, nothing new under the sun. But it was nice because it came by itself. You
2: know? Yeah,
1: yeah. But then immediately on publishing, I am here. What came forward was the central station. This whole dimension of true nature began to kind of come forward. The whole healing principle of the qualities between the head and the body, there is this kind of, you know, in the crucifix, there's the center point, the junction of of the heart of awareness, which is where everything has to go through. There cannot be a bypass, not this way and not that way. Uh, and this is the big processor, the big transformer of the psyche. And so that's when, and, and of course, at the beginning, it was clear peace is a healing factor. You know, happiness is a healing factor. <laughs> for the psyche but including the mind and including the body and but then it was like how is it specifically moving into into contraction where is this energy of peace moving into density into suffering and uh, then this whole methodology began to come forward of like you know peace is always there it's part of the here and the now it's part of true nature like even if you wipe out everything and there's no existence even if that's possible then it's very peaceful (laughs) you know it's always here it's not in a conflict peace cannot be in a conflict with anything because it's peace So, so the duality of peace is war and surrender so every single place that we suffer there's a conflict which is to do with like fighting or giving up you know dominating or being dominated but the peace is always there and If we're able to be the peace in a conflict, we're able to give the conflict the freedom to negotiate. We bring something into the energy of suffering where it loses its absolutism in a way. So we began to hunt for qualities and contractions. We began a hunt uh, and that's how the book evolved. And a little bit it became like a psychological Sudoku with Bart together and with Uh, some of the amazing students in Holland, uh, where we would explore together, and in Israel, uh, uh, we would explore together the different qualities and the effects and and check and they would contribute they would come and say you know what about boredom where does boredom belong and you know like, and and i have to go and figure it out when trump got into power somebody came and said what about despair where does despair <laughs> yeah
0: i love the idea of what you know what when you when you're talking about this kind of laboratory or this group of individuals who are working in a kind of laboratory space it's just it sounds so ideal i would love I, i'm like thinking sort of romantically about being involved in something like that, because it's so beautiful to have this, have these sort of principles, but then also to be open to that, that, that kind of wisdom, also feeding into new discourses of knowledge that can actually be transformative. Because I think sometimes we sort of kneel to the authority of, of traditions and don't um, and in some in some ways, that can sort of close down access to the empowerment that is always arising from this, you know, wise source place. Um, so I, w- I wanted to, I, there's so many things that you're saying that are absolutely beautiful, and I want to touch on a couple of them. But first, I want to just, um, as a sort of kind of... Basic unpacking of a kind of, of a concept and how it differs from one that we're familiar with. How does spiritual psychology, as a concept, differ in its fundamental prin- principles from just modern psychology, generally understood?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could remember one of the quotes, but there's many quotes about uh, beginning to learn when you forget everything that you know, and you know, getting rid of education in order to actually begin to uh, experience. Uh, what's really going on here. So psychology as it stands conventionally, as far as I know, is a whole lot of competing schools and belief systems and schools of belief systems. Uh, Most of which, many of which are very much in the box, meaning they're way behind quantum physics even. Yeah. You know, they're kind of pre-Newton even.
0: (laughs) Oh, <laughs> you know, they, don't even no. <laughs> they don't acknowledge gravity. <laughs> you know,
1: the world, the world is flat. You know, yeah. and it's got a beginning and an end. Uh, it's so primitive in its foundational philosophical outlook. Yeah. And so based on functionality, fun- functionality. Yeah, that's a word.
2: Yeah.
1: Getting people to function in a productive way, according to the norms of other people yes and as you know Krishna said you know it's no sign of health to be well adjusted adjusted to a very sick society
0: that's yeah. so true Wow so yeah.
1: so I'm not you know so sad that I didn't spend time studying psychology and instead studied Shakespeare because I think <laughs> Shakespeare was a much better psychologist than a lot of yeah. psychologists so I'm very very grateful that people are pioneering the bridge from psychology like Bart uh, into a into positive psychology, into spiritual psychology, the work of Stanislav Grof is amazing. Uh, There's many, many pioneers out there. But uh, where I'm able to contribute is really in from a fresher place of not having been burdened too much with that knowledge in the first place. (laughs) Spiritual psychology is radically experiential. It's not about behaviour, although behaviour can support a change in felt sense sense as a change in experience. But behavior isn't the end point. It's this, it's it's one of the starting points to change the attitude we have towards our own experience of being alive.
0: Wow, that's a great answer. So, um, so segueing now into kind of non dual therapy. Um, now, uh, I'm going to ask a similar question, and maybe it's a similar answer, so um, that's okay too. But you know therapy traditionally as it's practiced um you know has a certain modality or a certain series of modalities um what it what is distinctive about non-dual therapy as an approach is it sort of is is the key point some something like the experiential difference that you were just describing for the difference between psychology and spiritual psychology
1: yeah it's it's very similar to that difference although the uh Nyonjul therapy sees awareness, conscious awareness, as primary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meaning, sharing silence, doing nothing, not resisting, not trying to get rid of suffering, allowance, even if somebody's shaking in full trauma, staying in awareness is much more important than fixing. Uh, fixing the problem of the person. So classical uh, therapy is often about changing yourself to be somebody else so that you can accept yourself. And of course, when you have to change yourself to accept yourself, meaning mean, you have to reject yourself in order to accept yourself, with the hope that maybe then other people will accept you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't lead to the much depth or to much freedom or to much well being. And within that kind of agenda of kind of being somebody else in order to be accepted for anything, anyway, what you wanted to be and which you're now lying about because you want to be something else within that whole mess. In the regular psychological thing, if the client experiences a incredible peace or a sudden sense of existential freedom or is overwhelmed with gratitude, this can be seen as a pathology all by itself.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) it's
0: like it's like our spiritual crazy. experiences yeah is Like crazy? yeah well you have a quote in your book that you, uh, I can't remember who the quote is by, maybe you'll remember but it's about how you know these like spiritual experiences and non-dual states are read through the traditional you know kind of um, knowledge system of psychology as psychotic events you know they're, they're things to, that actually need medical treatment so exactly. there's a there's a profound inability to even understand them.
1: Exactly. If you look at, for example, dissociation. So it's a beautiful word, very fashionable, To let, together with words like re-traumatization, which is another kind of great one in terms of like accepting your suffering, you get re-traumatized, don't you? you know? <laughs> so that's not allowed. You know? You're not allowed yeah. to confront your clients with the thing that they're suffering with. But anyway... <laughs> dissociation, you know, dissociation, uh, in another generation in Tibet would be called disentanglement. Mm. Only now, this phenomena of dissociation, which we don't even know what we're talking about, when we throw this word around, all we know is we've got to medicate the people back into their body one way or another. Yeah. Or at least get them to look like they're calm and present, yeah. if they're not, because uh, a lot of drugs don't actually bring people back into the body at all, because that's way too confrontational. <laughs> but anyway, dissociation is a form of uh, uh, disentanglement. It's also got a spiritual context, you know, we, 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 we withdraw the spirit to a place where any we're always out here. And we're always here in naturalness, we're huge. And our consciousness can move freely between this part, this outer witness position and the depth of our own loins. It has freedom of movement. That's us in naturalness. But when there's a trauma, we pull back part of our consciousness because it doesn't feel safe to be here. And we put it in a place which is safe. And sometimes it's got a feeling of fakeness, like this is all a bit fake because we're out there. Yeah. But we also let go and we look down. And this is what a lot of people have when they have a spiritual emergency or a spiritual awakening, they look down at their body, and they call this depersonalization as well. It's a syndrome, they've got they're developing a drug for it. So they look down at the body and it's like this, this atmosphere of strangeness, there's Mm -hmm. this kind of, and, and because there is no context for that experience, and because it's often a result of trauma, they're witnessing it in an atmosphere of horror. And this strangeness has got a horror, and in addition to everything else, the whole environment is isolating them and saying, you're not okay, you're really not okay. Yeah. So they're also isolated. So there's an atmosphere of horror, isolation, strangeness, and uh, being stuck out there. So then it gets very, very hard to come back in again. Yeah. There's no community support. There's no environmental support. There's no looking at what's needed inside the psyche in order for this awakeness to come be equally awake here where it's going to hurt like hell. There's no facilitation of their pain. And when a non-dual therapist works with somebody like that, it can look like the pain gets worse because they begin to physically feel it in the body. And that is what sometimes is called re-traumatization, but it's not, it's the depth of healing. And especially because what we're doing is not pulling somebody back in, in a way that they're stuck. It's like, also you can be here, and also you can be here, and also you can be here, and also you can be the whole planet, you can be the whole of nature, you can be everything, and you can be the top of your collarbone. We're going for the freedom which is there, that kind of empowerment, that kind of sense of the limitless, which we all know, we all know that, that this is part of our birthright. It's there together with our conscious awareness. We've just been trained into clinging on to our suffering just to have something to cling on to.
0: Mm. Mm. So let me ask you a follow up question to that, because, you know, I know of several people, as I'm sure, you know, you do as well, who have gone through similar situations like this, where a certain there was an associated trauma that at least in one instance of an individual I'm thinking of, it's, you know, it's. Pretty obvious how it could be correlated and and that together with a certain kind of spiritual practice triggered a disassociative event. And you know, but that was also read through some of the vocabulary of spirituality. Um, And when this individual went to the doctors, it's actually kind of funny. The they filled out a form, and it said, um, you know, what, uh, what, why do you think you're here today? And they put duality, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which which I kind of love. But 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 the the individual is in a place where they can't actually be integrated with society or with other people, and they're not functional. Um, So you know. in, in those kinds of instances, the, you know, usually, uh, from what I've noticed, is that, you know, the spiritual, the spiritual attitude is sort of, that has to be set aside, because now is the serious time for actual medical treatment. And, and so I'm, I'm curious, you know, and I don't think anybody probably wants to argue against the importance of medical treatment in certain instances. But what is kind of the the attitude or the perspective on something like that from the, like, what would you do? Um, you know, what is a, or at least what should be an accompanying, kind of formula um that would help in a situation like that
1: yeah so it's extremely important uh to not go into like you know either or thinking like to a lot of people they kind of take medication as being the big threat you know you have to save me and take away this pain or else i will go on medication is they can go on medication it's another form of experience
0: yeah the
1: issue is a spiritual issue with with experiencing itself with suffering and we all have our ways to learn our complex relationship with the collective and some of the some of the ways that we learn are destructive and uh, rebellious because that's what we need to experience in order to get over rebelling in order to realize our own authority but it does become very very important to put the client or the person the one that's suffering at the center of the direction they decide and they decide what, how they want to move with it uh, in terms of creating an environment which supports them. They s- get to say what they need. They get to, dis- uh, to, and of course, all the help should be there, if possible, to find that enlightened psychiatrist, to find uh, that doctor that will pursue, maybe there's an underlying medical thing, uh, to find that psychologist or therapist who's able to explore background trauma which means that they don't want to inhabit experiences which are happening anyway so they're splitting off again and again Uh, because often the pain just has been so rejected and so isolated that uh, it got a whole new degree of suffering in it the pain that's there in their background because on top of the original pain like for example of losing a parent maybe when they were a child. So on top of that original impossible loss, there is now the pain of rejection. And there is the pain of their own rejection of the loss. And there is the pain of their own rage towards themselves. And there is this kind of violence, which they can't express outwardly because maybe they killed their parent, right? Because every child feels guilty when a parent dies. So now they express it inwardly. So there's a suicidal dimension right there happening where violence turns against itself by force of voltage. And sometimes all that's needed is this opening of a space and a reframing of the attitude towards the suffering, like this is a hero's suffering, a, a dis, an uncovering of the sense of purpose within the pain. Looking for the sense of purpose. What is this suffering giving? Not in any way trying to take it away, encouraging them to give it a voice. Tell me, tell me how it is. This is unique. There is nobody else on the planet experiencing this like you're experiencing it. I'm not, but can you try and share a little bit of it with me? So when that begins to happen, the incredible suffering of isolation, of separation, of loneliness, of rejection, of being negated, of being cut off as if from the whole universe, all of this begins to fall away and the kind of spaciousness, a kind of reunion happens with the original place of trauma. So the original place of trauma isn't going to be that horrible thing that happened. You know, the loss let's say that take like with me, take the loss of a father. It's the trauma isn't the loss of the father. That's not where the pain is. The trauma is in the place of the father daughter relationship that was there before that. We're traumatized in our place of well being. We're not traumatized in our traumas. So people when they have a spiritual experience, for example, there's an invitation to move into well being which means that that same area where trauma has happened in their naturalness and well-being in their freedom is now beginning to shat shat shake danger signs danger 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 if you relax now if you relax into well-being all shit is going to fly that horrible shock will come again you'll get you'll get uh, attacked you'll get violated it's not going to be okay in this world and you see what I mean? So often it's a training to relax in the goodness of life, in the well being which is there, and learning to trust it again. And sometimes we need support for that because collectively we've been conditioned to distrust our freedom, to despise well being in a way. Like it's totally for suckers to, to shame purity. Purity is for innocent little girls who are for sure going to get raped, for, at least in this country, for, for dressing too short, you know. <laughs> Innocence is for suckers. They're all going to be poor because their money will all be taken away for them. You know, we, we we demonize the qualities of our own true nature uh, mm. and teach it to our children as if protecting them. That's how, that's and and this is what trauma is about: losing our connection with those qualities, with true nature. Mm. So. You can expect a lot of traumas and, and dissociative experiences and psychoses. I don't want to scare anybody, but they will come forward where people are spiritually evolving because it's part of the learning of the psyche. The psyche needs to break down in order to reform, but it will reform if it's given the space and time in a greater level of harmony, in a more greater purity of well-being, within a greater freedom of expression. It always will reform.
0: Mm, wow. So, um, I, now we're kind of starting to talk about the qualities and I want to talk more directly about them but before we do I want to um, at least point to what I think is, is already sort of in the air of what we're talking about um, is the idea of non-duality oftentimes and one thing I really enjoy and appreciate about your work and, and what I've heard of you in other interviews is, is that sometimes non-duality ends up collapsing back into a kind of duality of duality and non-duality and you know we have to escape from duality and non is over here is this sort of you know featureless qualityless, absolute that is sort of an oceanic you know flat line and um <laughs> you know and um and so you know and what you're what you're discussing i mean it's very clear even from what you're talking about as uh, between these two poles of the kind of awakened consciousness and the felt sense um and it's it's clear from your work that these two are not opposed to each other, even though there is this narrative, uh, you know, that's very popular in the spiritual community of, you know, oneness that's, that's different somehow from differentiation. So can you talk a little bit about how, about the relationship between kind of unity and difference, the 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 one and the many um, yeah. as it, as it relates to what we're talking about?
1: Yeah. Well, if you imagine uh, a vast, infinite, White canvas, yeah, that goes on forever and ever and ever. And on this white canvas is one little dot. How precious is that dot? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so we're all very. Our sense of purpose is, in a way, like our 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 beacon of light in the darkness. Uh, and we're we're up to something with this sense of purpose, and. Uh, our sense of purpose while we're here physically alive is very invested in the world of form, the world of creation and destruction. It's the same thing, the world of manifestation. Though uh, we're we're totally, there are qualities which are totally drawing us in, we're together with the sense of purpose into like curiosity, wonder, or all of them are very healing qualities, also physically healing uh, and rewarding like crazy, like, which is also healing. So we are totally in love with creation, with the physical world, and we're also wounded in that love.
2: Yeah,
1: and that woundedness is maybe part of the physical creation, but the, you know, this is—I'll start to speak a little bit gibberish if we're not careful, because it's both <laughs> it's everything and neither. Yeah. What exactly, exactly. But uh, we vastly overestimate. The appearances of creation. First of all, we're hardly seeing or experiencing creation, we're seeing its reflection. And secondly, it's only the little tiny bit which is differentiated the vast majority 99.999% of us is source material. That's what makes the other 0.0001% so precious. So there's no reason to get too excited about it, even though the sense of purpose itself is uh, and this passion for life is so strong while we're here, but that's part of the journey of being a, having a physical life. So to break from that, to break from what our body is screaming for, from what our soul is screaming for, from what our mind is orientated towards through its curiosity, the wonder of the heart, the sense of beauty, the sense of truth, the sense of the miracle of being physically alive, the sense of the miracle, the power of the now and the infinity of space. It's all utterly amazing to be physically here within that to bread, to deny the physical aspect of that, or the because it's got a left side and a right side and up and a down, this is just silly. All that it's doing, it's actually, it's undeniable that, that we are in polarity. And there is this dualistic manifestation because it's something is there in the one which can only express in a pair of two. That's how you get expansion. Something is there in the space, which is causing the, the, the expression and to deny it just puts a field of denial on top of the space. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all of these people in non-dual, satsangs who are saying you know it's not really here it's not really happening there is no other all they're doing is taking pure awareness and heaping the energy of denial on top of it mm. and it begins to feel a bit uh, 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 like oh god <laughs> did, I, did i say it right am i speaking holistically correctly now and you know what oh i mean and, and gosh, so the energy yeah. of denial is like do we need the energy of denial do we really need it you know do we need the atmosphere of uh, spiritual arrogance is it maybe we can do without it maybe it's not necessary maybe nobody will die if they let it go for a while (laughs) (laughs)
0: wow that's so that's so interesting i love what you're saying it and it completely resonates with me because i do it's it is one of those um um those kinds of common you know things that are happening now that, you know, the, I, I just always find it interesting that someone calls themselves a part of the non-dual community as if there is, if there is anything else, you know what I mean? Or, you know, it, but even by positing such a separation, one is invoking a certain, a certain dualism. Um, and, um, and, and then, uh, and then, oh, I forgot what I was going to say, but, but as, as, as far as qualities go sort of in line with that, um, you know, Part of this kind of idea of the of non-duality that is often kind of proffered is that it's um, it's absent of qualities. It's absent of feature. It's a featurelessness. There's a featurelessness to it. But obviously, you talk very much about the qualities of non-duality. So there are qualities about um, what you also call our true nature. So um, you've spoke a little bit about them, but can you maybe unpack a few of those qualities and and talk about the way they get. Uh, layered? What's the symptomatology of, you know, layering something on top of those qualities that then leads to pain and, and contraction and suffering?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, in terms of like the purity of language with all respect to Advaita Vedanta, the kind of uh, absence of any quality, for sure there is absence through everything. Yeah. Absence, sacred absence, and it's the source of all quality. But there is a primal differentiation before we get to the gross physical forms into qualities of true nature and if you listen very carefully even to the strictest non-dual teachers they talk about true nature they just like the psychologists they don't kind of go into it too deeply to really experience peace and how it's different from love and how the experience of love is different from freedom they don't really explore it yet yeah but they will because we're in a we're in a journey together so what are these qualities? All there is is true nature. All there is is source. Out of source arises this, and 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 of course everything I'm saying now is from the perspective of a of a simple 50 year old female human. This is what I've experienced and noticed in other humans. So maybe it's all from a human perspective. Maybe ultimately there's no qualities at all, and it's all different refinements of human, mm-hmm. which is fine by me. I'm not even sure what human is to be honest. <laughs> me neither. So... <laughs> So I don't mind which way around we look at it, you know, so we're not talking absolutes, we're talking the the, the field of experience and known. experience. So there are these strong qualities of true nature that come forward, especially uh, among spiritual seekers and people who've had an awakening or a shift or all of this. And some of them are very much shifted into the love is everything, it's all about love, and they have this total insight into love being everywhere, others into freedom and liberation, others into peace. Each one has their, uh, others into light, you know, the light workers, the light brigade, you know.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, So there's many different qualities, and, and the conversation hasn't really happened about the, the resonant healing power of the different qualities and that it's maybe everything's possible. You know, right now I'm writing a, a book which just spontaneously happened in the lockdown about the quality of passion. And I thought it would just be a little book with a few guided meditations, but it turns into this another Mamuta because just one quality becomes a whole universe like nothing when you open its, uh, its doorway. So you've got the net, the, the absence of anything. Oh, point of total singularity behind the eye of perception. And one of the first emanations out of this is this sense of uh, peace. It's very peaceful. And then disturbing the peace is another emanation. It's not in duality yet of uh, care. And care kind of disturbs the peace. It's a sense that something is needed. If you, can, you can find this in meditation. It's like if you let go, nada, 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 you get to absolutely nothing and relax there for a while in total emptiness. You'll see this care. Aware, care, care, aware, I'm aware and I care. Unconditional. It's not entangled, but there is this emanation of care. And on and on, you know, these qualities uh, begin to emanate. A contraction into duality is not separate. It's not like something's in the way. It's that in naturalness, like as a child, you know, our natural innocence, for example, is shining outwards and then we, we meet a shock. We get a shock. We, we meet like a rejection from our parents or uh, kids are bullying us or we get a sense that we're not OK being how we are because we're eating with our mouth open and all the spaghettis all over the place and then the whole family is looking at us with disgust or we get a shock. And this innocence or purity or whatever the quality is, because it goes often in family lines, freezes. It changes its density in a kind of shock state and and it's not allowed it's not safe to be innocent so we hold it back we freeze it it goes into a, a density in a way and this is a natural protective movement in itself very pure so that later on you can say mommy i was really upset oh no you're cute with spaghetti all over your mouth yeah and and then it could heat the naturalness could unfreeze but often that moment later never comes and so there was, there's, there was a contraction there and it was reflected physically around the child's mouth. You know, the shaming of like, it's not safe to just eat in naturalness. You know, like you, a dog can eat in naturalness, but you can't because that, yeah. you know, then you like it. You know, then you get this. Horrible. So the shame is made of purity. The contraction is shame and disgust uh, uh, in, in that freeze, but it's frozen purity. The actual energetic substance is purity. The biochemical Antidote is purity and and you know p- purity will have its they will find its biochemistry they 're getting so close they're finding in the biochemistry of bliss they 're finding the biochemistry of well being of relaxation of reward they will find it also of purity uh, and purity exists everywhere else, and the moment there 's a contraction it 's got a particular location it goes into the body it 's around the mouth the kid is now like this, you know, maybe you know. There's less relaxation in the physical muscles around his or her mouth. And uh, it's in the whole area of nurture and food and disgust. Uh, you can see the ramifications of this one little contraction where being shamed when eating. Of course, it, it's all healable, but it's made of frozen purity. But the purity is everywhere else. When they're playing football, they can be pure. When they're laughing with the grandmother, they can be pure. The purity is still there. Just here it got contracted. So when they're able to move, out of duality, which says either or into a place where they can feel the purity of their shame in that moment. They can feel purity that was in the atmosphere at the dinner table, even though this happened at the same time that this happened. This is non dual, non dual is both. Yeah, both can be there at the same time, then the purity which is inside this energetic contraction inside the cells around the mouth begins to seek freedom and to join the bigger purity. It begins to like seek release in a way. And uh, of course, purity is a very strong one and shame is a very strong one. So you need to move with a lot of softness with this. But little by little, just with the suggestion of purity, to contemplate the purity of water, for example, to contemplate a kitten drinking fresh water, as a meditation for this person could help them release the purity here, you know, their mouth will start twitching, uh, something starts to move, the possibility is brought forward, you give them all the space to move with that to feel the pain to feel the rejection. That's that's the kind of uh, healing potential. And I just take one quality, but there's plenty. Yeah. So guilt, guilt, innocence and guilt and accusation It's massive.
0: Yeah. Well, I have, a, I have a, que- a follow-up question based on kind of, you know, what a lot of people are feeling right now, which is sort of a combination of fear and anger. Um, and so, you know, j- just based on what you were describing, where you, there was sort of um, a technique even that you might suggest, are there any, you know, ways of um, responding to, to that experience from the lens of non-dual therapy? Like, what are some um, techniques that, or tools that we might um, engage with? as we yeah. face that fear and anger
1: yeah yeah so it all depends on, you know because these are massive ones you know because fear yeah. and anger is fundamentally about in its naturalness it's about the survival of the separate form
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know like a dog will angrily bark at the fence he sets his territory uh, animals are afraid animals get angry to set their borders there is something very instinctive and natural in anger and fear and yeah we all have We all experience the vibration of fear and the vibration of anger. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Uh, And that's why compassion is the quality which is there, because compassion is being together in separation, Mm. in the passion. Passion is suffering. Suffering is passion. Passion is suffering. Suffering is experience. If you look at the word etymology, they all mean the same thing. Wow. Passion of Christ, suffering of Christ. If you look at suffer, the word suffer in its origin, it's because I'm a literature student, but the word suffer in its origin is to allow experience. I suffer you to be here. You think about the kind of old English, you know. He suffered his life. He, I will suffer your presence. It's very much how the queen used to speak. You know? yeah. <laughs> but it, in its root words, it's like suffrage. Think of suffrage. Women's suffrage. It's the permission to be here. Wow the right to exist is to is very closely connected to the word suffer so suffer is very close to experience and suffering is also the same root as passion passion is to suffer but passion is something else passion is when we totally and absolutely find our sense of purpose within the suffering meaning we dedicate it to the well-being of the whole which is beyond the separate self it's like a kind of and this is literally what happened with the crucifixion story. Mm-hmm. But uh, another time, I'm going to, <laughs> I won't go yeah. Christian on But anyway, as passion rises up, there is this realization on the heart level of compassion. Meaning we're all in this shit together. Yeah. We're all suffering. We're all alive. We all share fear and anger. And this is really quite literal. When the whole collective field is furious, we feel that too. And if we have, if we feel for whatever reason, we're not allowed to be angry, we will feel afraid. Hmm. And when we can't stand feeling afraid, we, because it's a voltage, this fear, it's voltage for running for China, Only nobody runs for China anymore. But it used to be <laughs> pre Corona, it was the, the voltage which meant you could run for China. But, any, but it's a very, very strong voltage. And when we had enough in lockdown of being afraid, 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 at a certain stage, you just want to release the voltage and it shows up as rage. But this rage, this violence is passion, which has been thwarted. You know, anger is only anger, rage is only rage because it's got badness in it, because it's been judged, because it's been shamed, it's been denied, it's been rejected. You know, when a kid it like, screams with joy and everyone goes, shut up, shut up, you have to sit down, you're in school now and he gets punished. You know, his, what happens to that voltage of passion, it becomes like this subliminal anger. He's, it's not safe to feel that vitality of life, to express it, to have it run through. So, so we really kind of push back on, on our passion. And uh, at a certain stage, this, this, because we need a lot of force to repress passion, it becomes this solid kind of boredom state. Like, nothing is here. Nothing is happening. And a lot of people were confronted with this state of unbearable boredom in lockdown. Yeah. And and what we normally do when we're feeling bored and we can't bear it is we go out and we distract ourselves. We go into the world to try and find some fulfillment out there. According to, the, like, we go shopping. We go get stoned. We go to a party. We reach for alcohol. The whole all the addictive patterns we kind of get obsessive compulsive looking for fulfillment here fulfillment here reward here we get ambitious we normally do that but that was also denied us so there's been an enormous pressure on this contraction of around passion on this area of boredom which is full of the most incredible pain of, of denied passion denied purpose denied vitality and this can easily express as violence and it has been expressing as domestic violence. For example, you know, couples have been wanting to kill each other, uh, or violence towards the world. But we're all so well schooled in Buddhism that we will never, ever, ever be violent. For a lot of us, we turn that violence against violence. We hold it in. It's like they say, depression is anger turned against ourselves. It's anger at the anger. So, 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 so the suicidal dimension inside ourselves this dimension of suicidal despair like you want to kill yourself this is existing in a place where violence is internalized against ourselves and it feels incredibly senseless it feels like there is no meaning no purpose passionless because and 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 all the time there is this kind of imploding violence going on this is all lockdown stuff you know yeah and then it takes one trigger. You're so desperate to release. this suicide is a release. The contraction of murder and suicide is unconditional release. And we're desperate to release this charge because it's a terrible hell-like suffering. I'm talking in the collective field now. And then one trigger, sense, like something like that touches the sense of injustice, deep in the root of our permission to be here in freedom, deep in the root of our aliveness and to see it, and one mind sees this, we all see it across the world, we all see it and we have the excuse we're no longer bad, we are good we're no longer wrong, we are right and we can release this rage on the world so in that release there's an opportunity because purpose comes forward, unity comes forward, compassion comes forward direction comes forward there's an opportunity for wisdom and the question is, are we wise enough to create this revolution now Yeah. Can we really take responsibility for all of the consequences, for our own aliveness? And it's not a question where we say no. The question is one we should ask ourselves. And yes, take responsibility. Let this passion live. Let this purpose live. Trash your job. Uh, Break that bad relationship. Move forward with what feels most truthful to yourself. Begin to manifest wherever you have a sense of purpose go for it and take full responsibility for your universe. That's the invitation. And then the collective will move because of the individuals. This is about the rights of the individual and the evolution of individual uniqueness within unity. So that's how precious differentiation is.
2: Mm. It's.
1: And it exists within unity. Mm. Sorry, I go on a whole speech about it. No, that
0: was that was absolutely beautiful. Honestly, that was so beautiful. Um, probably one of the top ten moments on the podcast for sure. Um, so mm-hmm. i'm I'm curious where um wonder sits in the qualities. Um, just I'm asking actually for me personally because I when I, the 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 experience insofar as I have had a spiritual experience, it always arrives in a state of kind of open wonder. Um, and so I'm curious if there is a quality associated with that. And then I'm also curious about. If there is, what is the kind of duality of you know we're talking about compassion, fear, and anger? What's the duality of wonder?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I can't remember if where's the book. I can't remember <laughs> if wonder was written down, but I know that in the same in same, in the same cluster, if you turn it up a notch, you've got the quality of awe, awe, like awesome, awe, which is. They found scientifically, medically, is incredibly healing uh, to the physical body. The people who experience a lot of awe live longer, they heal quicker, they can deal with uh, physical adversity much, much better. So the quality of awe is uh, when we totally open up in the perception and the the personality and all of his issues and the grandiose sufferings of our little lives, it all goes into a kind of humility. and we just take in the whole magnificence of it all. You know, like the sunset, the sky, the universe, the collective, the here and the now, the moment of all of these humans going through a pandemic. It's absolutely awesome. And you can feel it's beyond good and bad. You know, September the 11th was awesome. But these moments of collective perception when humanity sees as one, it's really, really, really awesome. And it's a healing switch that happens when we move out of, uh, I think it was terror and cruelty in our age of terrorism.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, terror is also, is like awe, but it's totally like this terror or horror is totally connected with uh, almost astral fear for personal survival. Full of badness, full of judgment not allowed to be there. So you get the badness, you see. You're not allowed to be terrified. You're not allowed to be horrified. When you take out the judgment, so September the 11th on the one level, it's absolutely terrifying, horrific, full of badness. But if you can take out the badness and just witness, you were here over a thousand year period to witness as one in real time with people across the world this event happening, these lives being lost, these structures falling, this destruction. Take out the badness, you've got the awe. And uh, some people when they feel the vibration of spiritual awakening or godliness or the incredible uh, resource which is there, which we deny all the time, they feel horrified, they feel terrified. I remember when I was, uh, I, I newly got into Oxford, but I hadn't gone there yet. And I, I was in the south of France where my mother was now living. And uh, I was reading a, a book that had been given free about Jesus. And, uh,
2: hmm.
1: and it was like an evangelical book like you just call on Jesus and he will come. Just call on him, call on his name and he will come. And he's banged on and on about it. And then I kind of put. I love how your book-
0: accent got American there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I, so I read this book and out of sheer boredom because it was before, you know, you had English TV in France. And, uh, <laughs> and then I went to sleep and I began calling on Jesus. I'd been a meditator and stuff, but, uh, you know, I just started calling, Jesus, please come, Jesus, Jesus, please come, Jesus, show me yourself. Jesus, please save me, please show me, show me yourself, Jesus, come. And I began to glide. And then suddenly this whole room was filled with this most un unbelievable power of love. It was so strong. It was like from the inner sight to like this incredibly bright light. And it was absolutely terrifying, this potency of love. It was like I was going to die in that moment. It was over, finito. You know, this was so strong. And so I got up and I turned on the lights and I went and looked in the mirror and to see if I'm still there. And then I went into trying to distract myself and I went into the living room and my mother had been woken up by the energy and she's lying there completely naked on the, (laughs) on the living room sofa and like saying, what's going on. And we kind of talked ourselves back to a habitual normality and went to bed. So love can be terrifying too. Hmm. Love can be cruel. Yeah. And sometimes love needs to be cruel. Uh, This is all the kind of stuff that comes forward when we move beyond the judgmental mind, the dualistic mind. You know, uh, creation is always destruction, and where we only want to create, 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 we create an overdraft of destruction. You know, the body, when it's only creating, it it gets cancer. Yeah. There's an overload when it's only destroying. You get neurodegenerative disease. Everything is needs to be free to live, to be born, and to die according to. The needs of the greater whole yeah. and if you take the judgment out of death then life becomes a lot easier it becomes much more free in a way
0: that's beautiful yeah. so we're so going
1: go on- for the oar, Wherever follow your all absolutely follow your all and 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 what i would say to a, to somebody would be it, it, if it was a therapy thing would be you know Notice where it is, meditate with it, expand it, expand it to parts of the body, like expand it, connect to it in nature, pendulate between yourself and nature. Look in the world where you feel you lose your sense of awe yeah. and look at it. the perception of awe with awesome eyes, with awesome seeing. Like, because we think we find equality, and like Nisargadatta said, you know, to one of his students, you think you found peace, but you just found the doorway. Go all the way inside, go all the way.
2: You know?
1: Yeah. So there's the same with the qualities. There is so much to explore. You could write uh, encyclopedias about the quality of awe. Mm. If that's what you're about, if that's what's drawing you, if that's what's lighting you up, if that this is where it's spiraling.
0: Yeah. yeah. Wow. Maybe I'll do that. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start today. It's going to take me a while. Um, So uh, Georgie, this has been such a fabulous conversation and you have so many, you know, it's such a, you have such a beautiful way of expressing these teachings and this wisdom. Um, But to close, as we sort of round it out, um, I wanted to go back to something that you touched on and and that has sort of, you know, has dropped here and there, um, you know, especially with your reference to being a literature kind of enthusiast and, and student um, and you know this is more kind of maybe a where humanity the humanities reaches spirituality in a way. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, to go back also to what you said about um, uh, Shakespeare being the greatest psychologist, um, a greater psychologist perhaps than modern psychologist. And I wanted to just have you speak a little bit about the the importance of literature. Uh, you know from from a spiritual perspective for spiritual practitioners um, because I think um, it, there's a way in which literature is sort of maybe and I'm, maybe if you maybe you don't agree with this but it seems like it's being kind of sidelined in our culture today and that it's sort of seen as kind of irrelevant and other things are more important and and people don't really explore literature as a source of wisdom anymore um, at least as much as perhaps they did another an earlier period. So, I'm curious what your thoughts are about the kind of role of literature in the contemplative spiritual process.
1: Yeah. So, literature, uh, of course, it's been canonized and by patriarchy and claimed. And, yeah. But uh, creative expression, poetry, uh, storytelling, metaphor. This is all the language of the soul. And for us to really, really live truthfully and express truthfully and manifest truthfully, we have to break the verbal programming. You know, we have to break the structure of sentences, the, the false logics, the false causalities, uh, which are, are running through the collective mind. And uh, a radical way to do that is through po- poetic thought, through literature, through... Uh, and, and how can we ever hope to describe the miracle of what we are seeing? if language stays the same pre newtonian mm. you know what i mean materialist i mean the language of our inner world is so impoverished so we have to reinvent it yeah. and poetry is there for that and shakespeare was reinvent. he did reinvent mm. language
0: yeah he really mm. did
1: and he was also the greatest philosopher you know i just love the guy you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I i'm actually it's... quoting him in the passion book about uh, to be or not to be that whole uh like the, the amazing to come back to the same quote again and again for a whole lifetime. And each time it's a revelation of another degree of depth, mm. another degree of uh, awakeness and, and a journey, which was there, or maybe he was on something really good, like opium or something.
0: <laughs> Probably basically
1: <both. laughs> language. So I'm much more talking about writing and expression than about reading, but it's the same thing because if you express ourselves enough, we will be able to receive the expressions of others. It always dances together. So the people who are not into literature, they should be the ones they should be writing and then they would be able to receive. You know, we only allow to be there what we're allowed to to be there within ourselves. So we are starved partly through our education system in this whole area of verbal expression and mind. And of course we think inside our head with language. Yeah. And, And if we start thinking in poetry, we might think that we are crazy and be afraid of that and then the mind gets even smaller and smaller and then always does come this point where the mind breaks open and we go get psychotic and we start wandering around town speaking poetic lines it will happen because somebody's got to say it (laughs) somehow you know what i mean this need to express the poetry of the universe is is so strong and uh right now it's pretty much left to the musicians the decent musicians you know good old bob dylan and
0: Yeah, I mean, the music is such an interesting, like, um, thing to consider because, you know, it has been in a certain way, I mean, we've all felt the power of music, you know, we all know the power of vibration to shift us. And yet, because our culture associates music with entertainment, and puts it in that box. It doesn't, it's, it's, but it's right there in front of us, the spiritual significance (laughs) of vibration, sound, music, it's so clear, so it's so apparent, and yet Mm -hmm. we put it in this box of entertainment and we don't acknowledge its power, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's, again, you take the badness and the kind of rejection and the social stigmatization of the whole world of music out of it and just let it be celebrated, you know, Pink Floyd, I mean, they are the rabbis. They are absolutely amazing. And uh, uh, what's her name? This one that all the kids listening to now, all our teenage girls are listening to her. I can't remember. Oh,
0: gosh, name. I don't know. What's her name?
1: Yeah. Amazing. So, <laughs>
0: Whoever she <you> is. Know, <laughs> she's
1: got a name.
2: <laughs>
0: it's not Lady Gaga, is it? No,
1: no, 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 no. 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 Also also something beautiful, actually. h yeah. one Madonna, even, but no, there was a new one. Oh, what's her name? They're all uh, Ariana they
0: in... Grande. No. Ariana Grande,
1: no.
0: It's
1: a really a teen. It's the new Justin Bieber, but she's female and she's absolutely awake. And uh, uh, all our thirteen-year-olds are absolutely worshiping her.
0: Oh wow! I don't know this person. I'll have to find this out. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. Absolutely awake. I...
1: It will Modern come to singer. me, I'm sure. The moment that we, we, we are offline, I'm sure it will come back to me. The name of her.
0: <laughs> okay, well, you'll have to you'll have to send me a message, and I'll put it in the show notes or something. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Or maybe we'll get some listeners who will reach out and say, "I knew who she was talking about." <laughs> <laughs> so, Georgie, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for sharing some time with me um, uh, this morning here in uh, the East Coast of the U.S. But for you, I, th- I believe it's in the late afternoon. Yeah. 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 Talk, evening. Oh, OK. So um, before we close, I would love to give you an opportunity to just um, mention maybe some things that are coming up, point our listeners in the direction of any workshops, any any courses that you might be holding or hosting.
1: We have a course coming up online in uh, July, which is uh, uh, about belief systems and softening belief systems, which is interesting. That's module three of the spiritual psychology education. It's it's still open to everybody. But more interesting is what we're going to be doing is uh, opening up a training in non-dual therapy online. Oh, excellent. Uh, uh, Bart is stuck here because he can't fly back to Holland. And so that's great. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah. Has that been so, born out so, of the born out of the necessity of the times? Is it is was it planned before or?
1: No, no, no. Normally he flies all the time, and oh, uh, but but it's literally no flight. So if he was to fly, then he would get quarantined on coming back again. Right now, and, right. Um, and there's too so, many people depending on the, you know therapy to to go into yeah. quarantine. Again.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So where can people find out um, information about that online training?
1: Um, at the, at, there is an ISSP website in the International School of Spiritual Psychology. If they Google that, they will come to the agenda there. And that's all the all, list of all the upcoming events are there.
0: ISSP.org or .com? Uh,
1: ISSP.life, but, uh... Oh, dot best life. just... But, but, yeah, best, best just that. to Google it because, because I've been neglectful with website engineering in the past. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I've been too busy writing. So best to Google uh, International School of Spiritual Psychology and you get to the agenda like that.
0: All right. Excellent. Yeah. And when is your, um, your new book going to be published? Do you have a date the, yet for that? The, the,
1: the passion one, uh, soon, probably September. It's really okay. about passion and the sense of purpose. And uh, uh, it's really... Uh, purposeful and rewarding to write it because <laughs> it's because you that. feel the energy yeah. as writing it uh yeah. and then i'll come back to non-dual medicine again but it, it suddenly this took over i could feel the need it was so much there in the air so yeah yeah,
0: yeah. excellent all right well I'll, we'll look out for that and yeah. i look forward to reading it
2: yeah. okay Lovely. thank you georgie
0: awesome. <laughs>